0: Hey everybody, this is Gene Marks and welcome to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Today I am speaking with Michael Bellman. Michael is the president and CEO of the Associated Builders and Contractors Association. He represents tens of thousands of small businesses, contractors, construction people uh, that are building homes, buildings, offices churches all around the country. We're gonna talk a little bit about the uh, infrastructure bill that's uh, working its way through Congress. We're gonna talk about the PRO Act and how it affects you if you're in the construction industry. We're gonna talk about as well uh, safety and OSHA concerns that you need to be aware of, among a few other things. So hearing Mike's insights on on all these things that affect you if you are in the construction industry or even if you're not, uh, I think you'll find the conversation very valuable. So stay tuned, we'll be right back with Mike Bellman. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host the Paychex Business Series podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. So download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Check it out. So, Michael, thank you very much for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you are on. So you are the president and CEO of the Associated Builders and Contractors. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about the organization.
1: It's a trade association uh, that is basically chartered in 1950 to lead and transform the construction industry uh, with a focus on safety, workforce development, careers, Advocacy for the Merit Shop or Meritocracy. Uh, It's uh, construction companies. We have 21,000 members. We've got 69 chapters. Mm -hmm. I've been CEO now for 10 years this past February, was a volunteer for 18 years. I spent 23 years in the industry with a company called Lend-Lease. I started out with McDevitt and Street. It was acquired by Bovis and acquired by Lend-Lease. So I had a wonderful career, architectural engineering grad out of Penn State, came to Washington, D.C., went out in the field, learned how to build buildings, then learned how to build teams, and then learned how to build companies. And probably the greatest thing uh, that I have to do is help people achieve their career dreams and help companies win and deliver work safely, ethically, and profitably.
0: That is that is a great speech. So and you've answered, I was going to ask a little bit about yourself and your background. You, you know, my my son is actually a mechanical engineer. He works for a big engineering firm in New York, and uh, I'm a Pennsylvania resident. And one of my biggest regrets was not having him go to Penn State. Uh, You know, he went he went to a great college, GW, but um, my other son went to Pitt, got a great education there. Penn State's a great school and a great engineering program. So um, glad that you got your, you know, sort of cut your teeth there.
1: That's the reason why I went there. It was uh, at the time I went, it was number one in a degree called arch- architectural engineering. Yep. That was the primary reason why I went there.
0: Yep, yep. And yeah, and that's evolved and architectural engineering is still a very you know, critical specialty now. We'll talk about labor, but you know, it'd be nice to get a lot more of those skilled people out in the workforce. I know there's a lot of open jobs in the construction industry, but we're gonna get to that in a minute. We So you represent and you work with um you know you know, people that are in the construction industry and and you know the industry itself had a pretty good year during covid right
1: record year in spend as a matter of fact uh, we've been on a pretty good trajectory ever since the great recession uh bottomed out in 2009 2010 mm-hmm. uh we are on track to hit about 1.4 plus trillion which will be a record for this year mm-hmm. uh and uh, we had about 1.38 or 3.9 trillion last year. We were very fortunate. Luckily we're an industry that is very familiar with safety protocols, safety rules, safety regulations. And once we understood the proper guidelines around CDC and the proper protocols, we were able to design pre-test plans, job safety plans, uh, reopening plans, and we were able to do that in such a way that the governors of the states were very confident that we knew what we were doing. So by June 13th of last year, mm-hmm. every state was open for construction. So it was great. Some states never shut down. Okay. A lot of our members though, uh, basically what they did was they kind of took a pause, a voluntary pause before they understood, you know, the actual protocols and safety protocols. Right. So, because uh, we're very, very safety conscious, uh, our members are—I call them maniacs about safety. We're committed to world-class safety. But once we got that underneath us, we were able to continue to go. So, good shape.
0: Let's talk a little bit about safety. You, um, you know, obviously the, the industry is very safety conscious, but um, there is, you know, a lot of budget dollars being proposed and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of attention being paid on workplace safety overall, not just. COVID-related, but just overall. Um, I know there's a refocus with, you know, OSHA uh, to, with, with some even more guidelines coming out. And again, um, I know that President Biden's budget is, is uh, proposing some significant increases for OSHA. So I'm kind of curious, you know, how you see that playing out in the construction industry? Are your members bracing for a lot more regulations? And what are they preparing for when it comes to safety?
1: Well, our members, uh, like I said, are committed to world-class safety. And and we take a look at, in order to get to world-class safety results, you have to have a leadership's commitment to world-class safety. Right. Then you have to have a culture that embraces a belief that all incidents are preventable. Then you can put in world-class safety systems and processes. And we produce on an annual basis, a safety performance report that's based upon over a billion work hours Mm-hmm. That is captured data from our members participating in our STEP world class safety management system process. We do this on an annual basis. Right. As a matter of fact, those members that participate in STEP are over twice as safe as the industry average. The leading companies, our diamond members, are 655% safer than the industry average. This safety performance report that we produce on an annual basis is actually a resource on OSHA's website and leading indicators. So we correlate a lot of cause and effect where if you have a world-class onboarding process, new hire safety orientation process, what kind of effect does that have on safety performance? If you have a world-class substance abuse program, what impact does that have on safety performance? So we have that ability and our members utilize that To help benchmark help identify areas where they can improve it and get the biggest leverage point to improve safety so we're all in OSHA's got a tough job they have to solve for the entire business community and they solve at a minimum level of performance whereas we believe that leadership and culture are key in addition to following those minimum requirements and implementing best practices.
0: So people that are in the construction and contracting industry, I mean, they, they know that safety is a concern out there. Some people uh, feel like, you know, all that responsibility is on their shoulders. But I, I, from what I hear you saying is that if you you participate in the Associated Builders and Contractors Association, if you um, get involved in their safety programs that you guys offer, um, that in itself will, will you know, almost, you Guarantee that you are insured to be within OSHA compliance because you are going to be taught what you need to do um, to make sure that you're in compliance. Is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, that, that is a fair statement. And, and I and I just want to reinforce OSHA has a set of standards. There are a m- set of minimum standards. These are not world-class best practices. Right. Our STEP world-class safety management system represents what is world-class. We have a national safety committee made up of leading experts from our world-class companies, large, small, geographically diverse, trade diverse, and what they do on an annual basis is they're out there looking at what are the best practices, and obviously with COVID, it's really introduced a new concept, and that is a focus on total human health. Mm -hmm. Traditionally in safety, we're always worried about the physical safety, but there's four dimensions to a human got the physical element, you got the mental element, you got the social element, and you have the spiritual element. Mm. And we're understanding now how much COVID has affected the mental anxiety, right? The Perfect. social. So we're doing a lot of focus and a lot of work on this particular concept. As a matter of fact, in our industry, unfortunately, we have a mental health issue because of uh, you know op- opioids and substance abuse and stuff like that. So we actually have a problem with regards to death by suicide or industry. And we've created, we've been part of a coalition uh, with regards to suicide prevention uh, in our industry. And we're doing a lot of work on that. As a matter of fact, Greg Sizemore, who's our vice president of health, safety and workforce is the chair of that coalition this year.
0: Have you seen uh, the emphasis and the awareness on mental health as one of the biggest sort of differentiators in the industry over the past five years or so?
1: I think it has been and it's quickly emerging. People are actually becoming more and more comfortable about talking about it, knowing it's a real big issue. Yeah. And, you know, it, and, you know, when you really sit back and think about it, it's common sense. You know, when you're at the job and you have other things on your mind, you have high level anxiety. We're already in a physically at risk environment, right, where we do a lot to do that. But imagine if you're you've got some anxiety. Uh, coming or you're thinking your mind's not on, it's like just when you're driving, if your mind's not on the road, you're distracted. And that brings in, uh, you know, some additional risks, but also some opportunities. So, you know, we've always said we want to send our people home safer or healthier. Now we want to focus on happier, you know, wellness, health, absolutely critical, something our industry is committed to.
0: Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. um, As you and I are speaking right now. We're, we're in the middle of July and um, the Senate is actually having hearings on, um, on the PRO Act. Um, the, the PRO Act, for those of you guys listening and watching, um, is a bill that passed the House a few months ago. Um, it is, really affects the construction industry. You know, I'm sure, Mike, you would agree, um, you know, particularly in two big ways. Um, you know, in, in short, it makes it a lot easier for um, employees to organize as unions so that is one, you know, you know, potential thing that employers have to deal with, um, and number two, it, you know, it, it would change uh, the definition of independent contractors um, for many construction companies that use them, and I think the the fundamental changes the test. Uh, the takeaway is that if you're employing somebody in your business and you're billing them out to your customer, they're like they're generating revenue for your business. Um, there is a you know a, a strong chance that you you would have to classify that independent contractor. As an employee of your business, and therefore be subject to payroll taxes and potential health benefits or, or or other employee benefits for them. So, hopefully, I'm describing that okay, Mike. And I wanted to get your thoughts on on the PRO Act. Um, you know, what you think the impact will be on the construction industry, and uh, and where do you think it's going to go?
1: Well, first of all, the PRO Act is entitled the Protect the Right to Organize. Mm-hmm. Currently, in the United States of America every worker has a right to choose to join a union or not join a union. They have the right to pick what company they want to work for. They have a right to determine whether they want to work for a company as an employee, or they want to work independently as an independent entrepreneur right. and contractor. If the PRO Act is passed, all those go away. Those choices go away. People will essentially be forced to join a union and from our perspective, we're, we love the fact that workers got choices mm-hmm. and we think that workers should have those choices. So therefore, we're not fond of the Protect the Right to Organize Act from that perspective. The other thing it does is it takes away a, a lot of employer rights with regards to talking to their employees and having, uh, you know, a term, maintaining attorney-client privilege during a union organizing uh, activity. It also could make our employees private information, make our employers hand over the employees private information to the unions without their consent. So there's a lot of issues here. This is, this is essentially trying to re- go back to 1947 when mm-hmm. Taft-Hartley
0: mm-hmm.
1: was enacted in a response to the National Labor Relations Act to put in place unfair labor practices. This would go back to that and just basically erase all of those. So we think it's a step back. We think it's a uh, we we are for worker choice. We're for employer and employee rights. Um, This will fundamentally overturn 27 states that chose to enact right to work laws in those 27 states mm-hmm. it's a problem for us
0: how about on the independent contracting side do you see that also a problem for construction people
1: Yeah, you know, independent contracting is a really good worker choice item mm-hmm. the problem is is there's worker there's some fraud that goes along with this because if a worker isn't paying their taxes so you know in, in independent contracting i contract with you to do this you pay me x dollars yep. i'm supposed to pay all my fica food Suda, i'm supposed to pay all my taxes based on that if i don't that's obviously fraud uh, and there's a little bit of fraud that goes on in this world so we need to enforce these rules and these laws to make sure that independent contracting is done legally so legal independent contracting is a great choice illegal independent contracting no bueno no good so we need to hunker down on that get that taken care of and make sure we're doing it
0: properly you have listed like i, I know in the past your organization has talked about other issues that impact your members um, you know, and, and there are a few of them that I, I just wanted to just get your, your thoughts on, or at least just an update on the issue. Um, it, for years, you guys have discussed and, and have had conversations with the government about the you know, PLAs, government mandated project labor agreements. Can you, can you explain to me what that means and what, what concerns, you know, the construction industry has around those types of agreements?
1: So we're for fair and open competition. We believe everybody should be welcome to the table. Uh Once again, going back to workers' choice, Uh 87% of workers choose not to be part of a union. So therefore, they work with companies that do not use union labor. A project labor agreement is essentially a collective bargaining agreement for a project we we're fine with those if if a company wants to choose to have a project labor agreement that's specific to that project it makes sense it makes them more competitive uh, god bless them that's great what we're against is the government mandating all contractors sign up to those project labor agreements which essentially means depending on the flavor and and these things are called different names they're very creative with names and and but essentially what it means is that I can't use my own labor mm. as a employer unless I join sign on to this. I they have to join a union. They have to I have to pay uh, you know retirement benefits into that union pension fund as well as pay my normal retirement benefits because unless that employee joins a union and stays employed with them for a vesting period, right. they it's just complex. So. What happens is the companies that choose not to be a, use union labor will refuse to sign on to the project labor agreement. That limits competition because essentially 87% mm-hmm. of the workforce is non-union. So you're essentially saying 87 out of 100 companies, or 8.7 out of 10, right. aren't going to compete. So it drives, so it it eliminates competition, drives up costs.
0: Do these project labor agreements really only – are they only really connected to government-related jobs or no. are they all jobs?
1: No, they can be related to any job. So uh, you know, as a, as a company, if I think that that's going to give me an edge mm-hmm. on a private project or whatever, I, I might go with a project labor agreement and compete against other people that don't have project labor agreements. Mm-hmm. We're fine with – anybody that wants to bring a project labor agreement to the table or any other value proposition – Go for it. Let's just not impose. Let's not have those imposed on people that choose not to bring that value proposition to the table. We're, we're against the mandating of project labor agreements. That's where we have the problem, right? Project labor agreements. Fine. No problem.
0: Got it. Um, Infrastructure, obviously a lot of conversation going on, you know, in Washington about this. I mean, I I'm thinking if I'm in the construction industry, I'm, I'm a, big supporter of of an infrastructure bill. Uh, Am I wrong? How do you feel about the infrastructure bill? How do you feel about the cost of the bill? And, And what do you think the industry is thinking as far as how the money will be spent under the bill?
1: Well, there's always three things with an infrastructure bill. One, who picks the projects? Yeah. How are they paid for? And then what are the rules and regulations around competition? Okay, so We've mentioned the PRO Act. We've mentioned government mandated project labor agreements. So obviously, we're for fair and open competition. If it's taxpayer money, everybody should be welcome to the table to mm-hmm. compete. Right. Uh, those are qualified. Obviously, if, if you're not qualified for certain projects, if you've never, never built big bridges before, you, know, you may not be qualified to do that. But if you're qualified, you should be able to come to the table. So that's one thing so in, in in we believe that that's going to be a big debate in in this particular infrastructure book. how are you going to pay for it okay so is it you know tax increases is it user fees is it public private partnerships uh you know there's a lot of great rules on the books that allow public private partnerships allow enhanced use leasing uh clever uh ideas that allow a project to essentially be self-funding. There's some archaic rules right now in the government that make it cost prohibitive uh, or just inefficient. So let's clean up some of that stuff. And with regards to the scope, is it pet projects, uh, you know, based upon elected officials or are they real value added projects to the taxpayer and to this country? So those are always the three issues. So if we can agree on those, we'll get an infrastructure bill.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny with the infrastructure bill itself, only because it is. There's a lot of debate going on between um, how it's going to be spent for you know, sort of green, you know, related projects, environmentally related projects versus just core building of you know and and rebuilding and repairing of roads and transportation systems and airports uh utilities you know rural broadband yeah do you do you feel that it would be better for the industry do you think there's more opportunities for the industry if more money is spent on um on those environmentally friendly things or the sort of the technologies of the future to make the world you know a more environmentally friendly place or do you feel that there's more opportunities for your members if the money is spent on the core things that this country you know, needs to focus on, like roads and transportation systems and utilities?
1: Listen, the industry's done a really good job around green construction, okay? Mm-hmm. Call it whatever you want to call it. I, I call it smart construction. Right. Construction costs, I want to separate into two buckets, initial costs and life cycle costs. When you start calculating in life cycle costs and our member companies do this kind of analysis all the time, yeah. you're assessing energy costs, operating costs, net operating incomes, revenues and all that kind of stuff. So you know, we've been building green buildings, quote unquote, for, I don't know, for 20, 25 years. I mean, hundreds of thousands of projects, mm-hmm. waterless urinals, more efficient uh, HVAC systems, uh, better you know uh, glass uh you know lighting uh, and and filming and everything to you know take away the heat load of uh, suns orienting for you know proper trade winds or whatever it might be so you know we've been doing that for a long time so i I don't buy the fact that we're doing you know you know we're saying oh we're 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 just focusing on green construction because I think our industry does a lot of that already. We've been recycling forever. You talk to a concrete company, form work contractor and everything like that. They, they make money based upon reuse of their forms. They're not throwing stuff away and everything. So I, I you know, this, the I, it's a lot of rhetoric in my opinion, but, we do system analysis, you know, taking a look at life of systems. You do cost benefit in terms of, you know, the amount of initial cost for a system versus the energy savings. This is that this is standard practice uh, in our industry. Now, you may have some people that are short sighted, developer wise, and stuff. So you're going to have some people that may not focus on that. But our industry generally is 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 focused on that kind of stuff. So. But there are certain things that just aren't ready. You know, there are certain things that, you know, you got to be smart. I, I always say a sustainable building environmentally has to first be a sustainable building economically.
0: Right. So
1: if it's economically sustainable first. You know, it, it, it's going to be green. It's going to be socially sustainable. But you got to focus on that economically sustainable. Otherwise, it will fail. And then it will be a waste because it won't be used.
0: All right, in the few minutes that we have left, let's talk a little bit about labor. Now, I know uh, that your members are completely fine. They have no unfilled jobs, they're (laughs) able to find all sorts of skilled and unskilled employees. It's all good. Um, Obviously, just kidding around. So, you know, what are your members doing right now to find good people? And what do you think are some of the longer term solutions um, to fix this labor shortage? problem beyond the unemployment benefits, you know, running out after Labor Day. We're talking longer term. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, we've had a pretty chronic workforce shortage since the Great Recession. You know, typically we're late to hire and late to fire. Okay. You know, so when the market goes down, we try to hold on to our people as long as possible. When the market goes back up, we're trying to, make sure we don't over hire because we don't like to let people leave the industry. We yes. estimate 430,000. Uh, we need this year. We estimate that over the next couple of years beyond that, we might need another million. So More our workers, yeah, no, yeah, Yep. yeah. Our companies need people. This all comes down to the employee value proposition. Right. The companies that offer a great employee value proposition, world-class safety, you know, great benefits, great pay, career dream opportunities, they're the ones that are going to be attracting the top talent. The other thing is, is we have been working as an industry and going into typical, typically underserved communities. We've done a lot of work, for instance, with convicted felons who have decided, I want to turn my life around. We got a lot of joint ventures and partnerships with prison systems where they can learn apprenticeship trades. We got exiting programs and re-entry programs for those who choose and when they go through these called boot camps for you know lack of better words our members will hire them. military people coming out of the military great crosswalk over a lot of you know common uh leadership capabilities as well as hard skills very very attractive uh the k through 12 the college typical but What about those people that are dropouts? What about the people that traditionally don't graduate from uh, high school? We do a lot of partnerships with high schools. We actually have some chapters of ours and some members that actually take care of part of the curriculum Hmm. in their environment to help these kids graduate from school, because a lot of people just learn math and science through their hands. And you talk about construction. You know, if you think, if you imagine, look up in your dining room Mm. and you've got a mitered corner at a 45. I'll tell you what, I challenge you to go cut that and set (laughs) that up. The mathematics around that is not easy. So, but people just learn differently. So we have all of these different programs. We've got about 800 different programs across the country trying to help people learn about the industry, get excited about the industry. One thing I would like to say, though, that I think is a game changer that COVID actually gave us. We've been really focused on innovation and technology and breakthrough thinking, you know, over the last decade. There's been a lot of great things have been happening. Mm -hmm. This pandemic has caused us to do even more. I've got a great example. We have a contractor that does a lot of site assessments before they'd send a two person crew out to do those site assessments. Mm -hmm. Now, they send out a drone right? and they send out the drones all over the place because not because they wanted to, but because they didn't have the people and they took a look at their leverage points. This was the easiest way to get it. So now you've got technology and we're creating jobs around drone pilots, robotics, um, additive manufacturing, 3D printing. All these things are entering into our industry, you know, un- unmanned vehicles. We mentioned the drones, but it's the same thing with bulldozers, backhoes. I mean, it's all coming.
0: Autonomous carriers. It's all
1: coming. It's huge. So our industry is transforming. So as the older generation phases out, I think I read an article about baby boomers, like there's 9 million baby boomers leaving the workforce or something like that. Well, we got that same situation in our industry. So let's welcome in the younger generation, the people that embrace this technology, and we're going to transform. So that's where our industry is at. I will say... 99% 99% of construction companies employ less than 100 people. So we're very fragmented, okay? We're small business. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a challenge to push that easy button when it comes to construction technology and innovation. But we're trying to do our part in really being attracted to the public in that future worker, in those students that are, you know, deep into it. I mean, my kids, they were raised on phones and computers.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, it's different generation. And so, Mike, final words. I, I just, uh, you know, the, the information is great. Your insights are great. You know, you seem bullish about the future for the construction yeah. industry. You're feeling pretty good. You look like a guy that has some job security for the next few years, at least. Um, why is that?
1: I think our industry is the best kept secret, uh, quite honestly. I mean, the, the industry has been great for me. I've, I've, I've been blessed. I've always wanted to be in this industry. I've been wanting to be in this industry since eighth grade when I took shop class, <laughs> uh, you know, and learned how to weld and learn how to bend steel and lathe wood and stuff. And that's one thing that I think we've done uh, really a failure to our kids is taking out shop class that needs to come back yeah. drafting class. So people can get exposed to working with their hands again and learning what it's like to create something. We have a lot of opportunity. The beautiful thing is we have a need we have a problem and a challenge that needs solutions. We've Got a lot of solutions. I think I got the best job in the whole construction industry. I love helping people achieve their career dreams. I've got so many stories. As a matter of fact, we create a book every year called The Hands That Build America that tell the stories. of All of these young people, senior people that come in our industry, they learn a craft, they learn another craft. The next thing you know, they're starting their own company. I've got one student that was a dropout in robotics at college, went and learned how to be a welder. Now they are the number, uh, they're the top of quality control for welding for the third largest construction company in the country. Mm -hmm. There's so many awesome stories about our industry. And that's why I love it. And that's why I'm bullish. We always need to have the built asset when you look around. Uh, You know, we always have to have that, whether it's restoring renovating, adaptive reuse, whatever it might be. I can't predict the future. However, we always got to have a roof over our head, whether it's in worship, education, healthcare, or being entertained.
0: Agreed. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Great insights. Uh, Would love to have you back and talk. Just an update on the industry sometime in the future. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate
0: it. Michael Bellaman is the president and CEO of the Associated Builders and Contractors Association. Michael, I'm so glad you joined us. My name is Gene Marks. If you need more advice and tips and uh, you know help in running your business, please visit us at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Again, my name is Gene Marks. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Paychecks Business Series podcast, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. This podcast is Property of Paychecks, Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.